between 13 and 15. 13, if you weren't with us last week, is David trying to bring the ark back, and it did not go well. So we talked about what can we learn from this. Remember, as we go through Chronicles, we've made this point that these people, these stories are there for us to learn. Learn what to do and learn what not to do. Paul said they were given to us as an example. So what can we learn from last week of what did not go well with trying to bring the ark back? Well, in chapter 15, he does bring the ark back, and he does it the biblical way this time. And we'll get to that next week. Next week, we'll probably do chapters 15 and 16 together. But here tonight, just one chapter, chapter 14, but it's one of those chapters that, that has it all. This one chapter really just kind of explains to me, and as I was going through this, this is just a little snapshot of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In this chapter, you have the blessings of following God. You have the battles of the flesh, and you have the spiritual battles of life. And does that not sum up your walk with the Lord? You are blessed to be with Christ. There's just blessings, and you can just sit there, and you can stop, and you think, I walk in grace, I walk in mercy. Think about this. The Holy Spirit chooses to live inside of you. God has chosen to take up abode in your body. That's amazing. Then there's the flesh. We all do stupid things. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. And it's an awful thing. But then there's these spiritual battles where it feels like you're just in war all the time. This idea of a battle to stay pure in an impure world. A battle to stay godly in a godless society. A battle to proclaim Christ to a dying world. This chapter has all of it. And this is what we get a chance to see in the life of David. So, let's start with the blessings. Let's see what happens. Verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees with masons and carpenters to build him a house. So David knew the Lord had established him as king over Israel, for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. Then David took more wives in Jerusalem, and David begot more sons and daughters. And these are their names of his children who he had in Jerusalem. He had Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elusha, Epilet, Noga, Nefka, Japhia, Elishama, Belidia, and Aliphate. Now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went out against them. Then the Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephaim. Now let's just break this down real quick. It's so easy to read these things and you start thinking, Who's the king of Tyra? Who's Hiram? Why is he here? And why do I care? This is what I love about Wednesday nights. If you remember correctly, when we started our study in Chronicles a few weeks ago, we went to those passages where Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. And the Bible says, too, that every jot, every tittle, that's like the dots of the I's, the cross of the T's, all those things are important. So, Lord, what are you trying to tell us here in verses 1 and 2? What are you trying to tell us? Here's this guy, Hiram, king of Tyra, He likes David so much, hey, I'm going to send you cedar trees. Because if you ever heard of the cedar trees of Lebanon, Israel did not have access to that. And I'm going to send you masons and carpenters. They were known so well in the Old Testament for their workmanship that Solomon basically said, hey, listen, these guys are going to do a better job than what we can do. So they were raised and used up to help build the temple and things like that. So Hiram, king of Tyre, sends out the trees, the masons, the carpenters to build David a house. Why is David getting a house built for him by a foreign Gentile king? Because sometimes we're just blessed. You ever thought about that? You're just blessed. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing to be in God's will. When you are in God's will, 
it, it just you, you feel like you're walking on water and it's just like, okay, Lord, this is it. It's all coming together and it just makes sense. And I see the big picture. And when you have that, you just say, wow, Lord. There's a great verse in the book of Proverbs that says, when you're walking in God's will, even a man's enemy becomes your friend. And this is what's happening right here. Hiram, king of Tyra, should not have been a friend of David, but yet he becomes a friend of David because David is just so blessed. And this guy Hiram is not only a friend of David, he's also a friend of Solomon. So for David and Solomon, Hiram says, I like you guys so much, I want to build you a house, David. Solomon, when he gets ready to build the temple, actually borrows money, if you will, from Hiram to build the temple. Hiram sends workers. They have this wonderful relationship that goes back and forth for decades. What a blessing that is. What is the purpose of a blessing like that? If you're in a phase of life and sometimes you just look around, you're like, Lord, I don't deserve this. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When God is blessing you, he's blessing you so that way you can pass the glory on to him and to pass that blessing of look at what the Lord has done for me. Not for you, but for him. Because look at the rest of verse 2. David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. It'd be really easy to stop right there and be prideful. For his kingdom was highly exalted. Yes, it is. Look at me. But why was it highly exalted? For the sake of his people, Israel. David was blessed not for David, but for God. you got to remember that. David was blessed not for David, but for God. And when, if God blesses you and you sometimes just sit back and say, Wow, the reason that's there is for you to stop and say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to give this all to you because this really has nothing for me. I'm just going to read that verse I mentioned to you, Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I just started going through all the times in the Bible where God just started doing these amazing blessings. One of my favorite passages in the Bible comes out of Deuteronomy, where Deuteronomy in chapter 29, God says, listen, when you walk through the wilderness, do you remember what happened? Your sandals never wore out, right? Sandals never wore out. For 40 years, these people wandered through the wilderness. Their sandals never wore out, and also their clothes never wore out. That's just a little blessing of the Lord. And God says, you always will have food, you always have manna, you always have quail, and you always have shoes, and you always have shirts. God says, I took care of you for 40 years. Have you ever had those times where the Lord just kind of blessed you, and you step and you say, I don't deserve this? I think of one example. Don and I just celebrated our one-year anniversary. And for our one-year anniversary, we decided to go camping. So we went camping to that uh, Harrison Lake, you know, north of Archibald there. So we went camping, and as we were done camping, we were driving back through Archibald, and it was about time for us to start looking at getting a new vehicle. So we drove by this car dealership in Archibald, and sitting out in this car dealership was a neon. I don't know if you remember the neons that came out in the mid-'90s. Dawn saw this neon. It was this really pretty strawberry red. She just absolutely fell in love with it. So we go, and you look at the neon, and when I shop for a car, I just want to know what the price is, okay? And you know how it works. We'll take it for a test drive first, et cetera, whatever. Well, we take it for a test drive. Dawn falls absolutely in love with it. The price is so far out of our range. I mean, not even close to what we could even possibly afford. So we take it for a test drive. We come back. We're sitting in the car. We're praying, Lord, what do you want us to do? Obviously, she loves it. She likes this. We can't afford this. She knows we can't get it. So take the keys back into the guy, go into the dealership. He goes, what would you think of the car? 
I said, loved it. I said, loved it. He goes, so what do you think? I said, we can't afford it. He goes, you can't afford it? I said, no. I said, it is so far out of our price range. Now, have you ever had one of those awkward conversations where you know you're not even close on the price? Now, I normally don't do this, so forgive me for talking this way. Pause that story, going on to another story, okay? We'll come back, I promise. We went out to Vegas years ago, and we were driving out to California, and we thought it would be fun. It was Dawn and I and a friend, so we thought it would be fun to drive down the Vegas Strip. So we drive down the Vegas Strip, and we decided, hey, we're in Vegas. We're going to stay on the Vegas Strip. So we go park our car at the Mirage Hotel. So they valet park it. They take our car, and we only have our bags. So we go into the Mirage Hotel. Hey, we're going to stay here on the Vegas Strip. And they said, sorry, we're completely booked. But you got our car. I don't know what to do now. You have our car, but we can't stay here. So we walk over to Treasure Island. So we go over to Treasure Island. Now, at this time, I think I am 19, maybe 20. I'm I'm under 21 because I remember you had to be 21 to go on the gambling floor. So I'm under 20. I'm probably 20 years old. Our friend is maybe 22. We have been driving for literally 10, 11, 12 hours that day. We're tired or whatever. So we go up to Treasure Island. We would like a room. The person looks at us, doesn't know what to say. I only saw this in the movies, but they really did it. We said, how much is a room? He would not verbally tell us. Takes out a piece of paper, writes down the number, folds it, and slides it to us. That's exactly what he did. We looked at the price and said, we don't care, we're staying there because you're tired. Point is, so far off on numbers here with this car, guys. It's not even going to go close. I tell the guy, this is what I can afford. This is it. This is my max amount. He goes, I'll take it. Dawn got her neon. Now, how did that happen? I have no idea. So I walked down. I felt pretty manly because I thought she's going to think I'm like the toughest negotiator. You know what I mean? You want to go out there and say, oh, Dawn, I told him. I told him I would do anything for my wife. You know what I mean? I didn't do anything like that, but you want to. He just blessed us. And Dawn and I looked through over the years that we've been married. We couldn't find an apartment. And we were, when we got married, we're 19. We're both working at Walmart. We don't have any money. If it was Monopoly, we live on Baltic Avenue. You know what I mean? We can't afford anything. My great uncle says, I got an apartment you can stay at. Here it is, like 125 bucks a month. We'll take it. After living there for a year or two, somebody comes up and says, hey, my parents have this old country farmhouse over here south of the county. They'll let you stay there rent-free. Just pay for the utilities. We lived there for nine years. God just blessed us. I look here at what's going on with David. Why is Hiram, king of Tyra, sending masons and cedar trees and carpenters to build him a house? God just blesses. Just blesses. We're living over on that house on Road B. We're thinking about building a house. We're looking at property. Somebody approaches us and says, hey, we want to bless you guys. We're blessed again. We're just blessed. And God just keeps blessing left and right because God gets the glory. Remember verse 2. We're not exalted for what we have done. We're exalted to give God the glory. Why is Hiram taking care of David? Because I think it's just God's hand on David's life. So my point is this. In your walk with Christ, you will have seasons and moments of blessing. They will make no sense. And if you try to figure it out, it doesn't make any sense. You haven't earned it. You haven't deserved it. It's not like your walk with God is so amazing and holy that God says, I owe you. He just loves you. And that's what you see with David. God just loves him. So that's the first part of your walk with the Lord. Sometimes you're just blessed. Enjoy it. Let me got any quick questions, comments about the blessing part here before we move on. Okay, so now that you're blessed, what are you going to do with it? Well, I'll tell you exactly what I did when God blesses me. Verse 3, I go get more wives. That's exactly what I do, you know. 
Here's the flesh part. You're blessed. What do you do? You respond in the flesh. Oh, man. I've seen that. I've seen people that are doing perfectly fine financially. Then they're blessed with a lot more income. And they go make stupid decisions. I've seen people just blessed in the Lord. And it's like, wow. It's just not enough. They want more in the flesh. So what does David do? Gets more wives. Now, please note this. Just because it says that David does it doesn't make it right. The Bible is just honest from Genesis to Revelation. So if anybody ever wants to take these verses and say, see, no. This is an honest picture of what David did. Now, this is strictly forbidden. Deuteronomy 17, 17 tells the kings, do not multiply your wives. Don't. Way back, Genesis, Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, God's design for marriage. It hasn't changed. But what does David do? He multiplies wives. He multiplies concubines. Now, he multiplies that. He goes to a whole other level for Solomon. We'll get to that later on. But as he multiplies his wives, guess what he does? He multiplies his problems. And I don't mean that as any insult to women. Please don't take it that way. David, though, when he starts multiplying his wives, he has so many family problems. As one said, Ammon rapes his half-sister Tamar. Well, then Tamar's brother Absalom basically does a mafia hit on Ammon and kills him. Then Absalom rebels and tries to take over the kingdom. And then David has another son, Adijan, that tries to take over the kingdom as David's dying. And if you go read... Really what happens here is David starts multiplying wives and concubines and the whole affair with Bathsheba. The family problems just start adding up. And it's just problems. When you're not in God's will, how is God supposed to bless you with those type of things? You know, that's one of the points that we always try to say out here is, listen, if you really want God's best for your life, take a look at your life. And say, am I, am I living my life according to the Lord? Now, I'm not obedient to get a blessing. Please don't take it that way. But why would God bless something that he's not in? If you haven't asked God to be a part of it, how is he going to bless it? One of the things I say if a couple comes up to me and they're asking to get married and they're living together, one of the first things I say is, listen, how can you expect God to bless your relationship if you're not putting him first in it? David right here, his family's a mess. I mean, it's an absolute man. For this man being a man after God's own heart, and this man writing psalms, and this man getting a chance to be in the lineage of Jesus, uh, he, taking down lions and bears and Goliath, this guy's amazing. Amazing. He couldn't run a family. And he couldn't run a family because he didn't do it God's way. He did it according to the flesh. So our first point is, sometimes in your walk with the Lord, you're just blessed. Amen. Enjoy it. Our second point is very simple. Stay out of the flesh. If God has said it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's right, it's right. This was wrong. Deuteronomy 17, don't multiply wives. David does it. It creates problems. And so David in the flesh is always creating problems. Bathsheba, we talked about that. Uriah, we talked about that. And a little bit later, he's going to have a census to be prideful. All these fleshly things. This is a picture of our walk with the Lord. Seasons of blessing, seasons of the flesh. Now, look at our next thing here. Seasons of battle. Verse 8. Philistines here that David's king... And as it says, all the Philistines went up to search for David. I don't think they were searching to say hi to him. 
find David, and they go out into battle. Now, it's very interesting. Guess where they go out to battle? Verse 9, it's the Valley of Rephium. That means the Valley of the Giants. I find that fascinating. David's the giant killer. Where do the Philistines want to fight him? In the Valley of the Giants. Now, what is our third point here about your Christian walk? You're going to constantly be battling. Constantly be battling. I've been walking with the Lord for, this will be my 23rd year with the Lord. I don't know if there's ever been a day off from a battle. There's always something. As I mentioned to you earlier at the beginning of the message, it's a battle to stay pure in an impure world. It is. It's a battle to stay godly in a godless society. It's a battle to proclaim Christ to a dying world. And I think for some reason as believers, we forget we're in a battle. God's constantly trying to remind us. He wrote a whole chapter of Ephesians 6 to remind you, you're in a fight, so get on your armor. But yet, for some reason, as believers, we still feel like we can just get up in the morning and just go out to work or go take care of our kids or go to school and just expect there not to be a fight? It's, it's constantly a battle. Constantly. And this is why there is a season of joy. Don't get me wrong. But as you read Paul's writings and you read Peter's writings, especially their final books they wrote, Second Peter and Second Timothy, you see their tone becoming a very serious tone. And they start using words like sober. Now, when we think of sober, we think of sober in the sense of you're not drinking. From a biblical standpoint, sober means you're taking this very seriously. And what Paul and Peter are saying at the end of their lives, guys, you're in a battle. You've got to take this serious. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to forget because we think our life is just so simple. Alarm goes off, go to work, do a good job, come home, get the kids to bed, eat supper, what have you. Now repeat the whole process and do it again. When you start thinking of everything through the lens of eternity, it gets really sober. Because as soon as you run into somebody, that person is either destined to heaven or destined to hell. And when you think about it from that perspective, it completely changes everything. Everything. I was doing a hospital visit this week. Get into the elevator. And if you're like me, I always want to take the elevator by myself. It's always awkward, right? So I get in the elevator with this guy, and I'm going down. He wants to go up. So I get in the elevator. I'm going down. He gets in. I said, you know the elevator's going down. I heard you said you wanted to go up. He goes, I am so frazzled. I don't even know. I don't even care. It's been an awful couple of days, etc." And I'm looking at this guy. He's holding food in one hand. It looks like possibly he's holding a Bible in the other. I'm just going down one floor. And so he's kind of like just completely out of it, frazzled. So I, I, my first thought is, okay, just get off the elevator, James, right? So I get off the elevator, and I thought, well, wait a second, James. Aren't you supposed to be a light and a witness and all you say and do? Stop, turned around, and I said, I'm going to pray for you today, man. And it's, it's like the movie, so the doors are closing. I'm going to pray for you. You know, I'm going to pray for you. And he's like, thank you. I don't know. Every person you run into is either going to heaven or hell. Let's just be completely blunt. In this room here tonight, every one of you is either going to go to heaven or hell. Now, as I scan the audience, I know all of you guys. All of you have made a confession of faith. But you know what? Every one of us has an eternity that we have to decide where we're going to go. Every coworker, every student, every teacher, every cashier, every waitress, everybody you run into. There's a soberness. There's a seriousness to what we do. And there's a battle. And I think we forget that sometimes. So what do we see in our life? We see a season of blessing. Hiram's building David houses. We see seasons of flesh. David's making stupid choices. And then we see a season of battle. 
And you have to have your armor on. You have to be ready to fight. And even though you've already defeated one giant, verse 9, you're going to constantly go back to the Valley of the Giants. Because every day of your life, there's another giant to face. There is. Sometimes the giants are medical. Sometimes the giants are financial. Sometimes the giants are an unloving spouse. Sometimes the giants are work problems. Every day of your life, you're in the Valley of the Giants. The question just comes up, how are you going to fight? So from verse 10 on... We see now how to victoriously fight in this Christian life. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments, though, on the blessing, the flesh, and the battle aspect? Ryan. Uh, talking about the flesh, and David took more wives, and then Solomon had a thousand wives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really very sad, as, as Ryan's mentioning there. If you look at the lineage of the kings, there, there's very few good kings mentioned ever. I mean, very few kings that you could ever stop and say, okay, kids, I, I want you to set an example of. You know, I think of uh, Josiah, I think of Hezekiah, had some good aspects. But most of the kings, especially the kings of Israel, not Judah, Israel, um, the Bible just comes out and says they're wicked. And you're right. There's this example set. David is this wonderful, godly man. I mean, he really is. And if you read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs seems to be the advice that David gave to Solomon. There's some good advice in there. But you also see Solomon kicking this up a whole other notch here with the whole uh, multiplying wives thing. It just creates problems. It does. It is amazing the power we as men have in setting an example, especially to our sons. It's just unbelievable the influence that a father has on their, on their son. It's just unbelievable. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Okay, so how do we handle the battle? Verse 10, David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. Verse 10 is the most simplistic point you could ever say. You want to know how to handle the battles of life? Verse 10, ask for wisdom. That's just so simple. David, this is a, David is a military giant. I mean, literally slaying giants. We know from the book of uh, Kings and the book of Samuel that David slain his 10,000s. This guy was the warrior of warriors. Before he goes into battle, what does he do? Verse 10, he simply says, God, do you want me to go up and fight the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? Ask for wisdom. I see so many believers in life making huge life choices. And they don't even ask God what he thinks. They, they just don't. They, they change careers. They change jobs. They change this. They change that. Because it just looks good. It looks good on paper. It's more money. It's better this. It's bigger this. Whatever. And it's like, well, did the Lord lead you to do that? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a really good thing. Well, I, you know what? I said this. I said to the Lord, if you don't want me to have it, just you just don't offer it to me. No. Ask in prayer and fasting for wisdom. I mean, we can go through all the passages. James chapter 1 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask to God and he will give to you generously. He will make sure it's clear. James 4 says, You're just a morning fog that appears. Who are you to even plan today or tomorrow? But yet we have these big plans and we kind of ask God just to rubber stamp it a little bit, don't we? How about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? We all know that one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. We know that verse so much. Have we ever stopped and broken it down? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
That means you give him everything. This is my entire heart, Lord. Nothing selfish or I don't want anything. I just want what you have. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Take away all personal biases and opinions. Well, I really want this. It doesn't matter what you want. Is that God's perfect plan for you? Well, I really don't want to do that. It doesn't matter if you don't want to do it. Is that God's perfect plan for you? See, a lot of times when we make decisions, we lean completely on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That means in all your ways. It's not my vehicles. It's not my paycheck. It's not my house. It's not my ministry. It's not my anything. All my ways, I acknowledge you, Lord, and He shall direct your paths. But to truly ask Him to lead in that way means that you're, you're dying on the altar of self. And you're saying, Lord, you, you give me wisdom, you guide me, you direct me, and who am I to even get up in the morning and try to tie my own shoes? It's all you, Lord. So I see this wonderful example in David of seeking God before you even go out to battle. Verse 11, so they went up to Baal, Perezim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal Perizim, which means master of the breakthrough. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment and they were burned with fire. Our first point of how to survive the battles of the world is to ask God for wisdom. The second point, verse uh, 13, excuse me, verse 14, 12, burn it. Burn anything that is not godly in your life. Just completely burn it. The Philistines brought their little false gods, their little idols into battle to give them good luck. They fled. They left. They were defeated. They left their gods, which is kind of funny if you stop and you think about it. David collects all their gods and tortures them. Burn everything. Burn anything that is not good or godly that's going to pull you away from your walk and relationship with the Lord. It's going to hurt and it's going to cost a lot. And it may actually cost a lot of money. Because if you walked without the Lord for a lot of years in your life, you have financially invested in a lot of things that aren't godly. And so to get rid of those things that are hurting you, well, I, I, I can't do that. I, I put a lot of money into this. Acts 19.19 19 tells the story of when the town got saved, that they took all their magic books, and they threw them in a fire, and they burned all their magic books. And according to the best value we can estimate of Bible money to today's money, it would have been several million dollars worth of stuff that they burned. I can remember we used to do these refiner's fires when I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And we would have a time of worship, a time of Bible study, and we would literally set up these big bonfires. And people could actually bring in actual physical objects that you know, maybe brought them down. People would bring in music that wasn't godly to listen to. You know, this is going back years ago. People would bring in movies they shouldn't be watching and magazines they shouldn't have had. And you throw it in the fire. And there was also a time where you could throw inanimate objects in the fire. We'd hand out little pieces of paper. And if you're struggling with pride, you'd write down pride. I'm struggling with lust. I'd write down lust. And you go throw that in the fire. And it's that picture, that symbolism of I'm burning this. I want to get rid of this. I want this to be done. Now, and I don't want to speculate, and, and please don't think I'm trying to add to scriptures. Verse 12, don't you think some of those gods could have been made out of some type of precious metal? You know, we already talked about that back in Jericho. Achan, Achan stumbled into that. He took a false god with him because it was pretty valuable. David says, burn them. 
Just burn it. It's not worth keeping on to. So ask for wisdom. Burn. Verse 13. That the Philistines once again made a raid on the valley. Our third point of being in battles is be prepared to be attacked again. So you defeated them once. They're not going to take the day off. They're going to come right back again. So you had a problem with your temper. You lash out at your kids. You lash out at your wife. You lash out at your husband. You lash out at your co-workers. So you get through one day and you held your tongue. Amen. You got to do it again tomorrow. There's a battle every day. They're going to come back and attack you every day. And I think once again as believers, we have a moment of victory. And it's over. I wish it was. It's not. Remember what we talked about on Sunday? About the man who sweeps and gets his house in order, but he leaves it empty. And the Bible says that the demon comes back with seven other demons and the house is empty. So since the house has not been filled with something, you got rid of that sinful passion that was wrong. Amen. That's good. But you have not filled it with something good now. And so therefore you have left that house empty. It creates a bigger area for the enemy to come in and create more problems. So amen. You got through a day without doing X, Y, or Z. Keep praying, keep fasting, keep staying in the Word. Now let's get through two days without doing X, Y, or Z. Then let's get through three days in the power and strength of the Lord. Because what I read here in verse 13, those Philistines are going to come back again and again and again. And what should you do when they come back? Verse 14, David inquired again of God. And God said to him, now real quick, ask again. Well, that's okay, Lord, I've already done this before. I've done, I've done so many weddings as a pastor, I can, I can just go ahead and, and just do it. I've done so many funerals, I, I know what to say. Taught so many Sundays, so many Wednesdays, we've played that song so many times. You know, I know what to do, I've studied out that passage so often. I know, I'm, I'm okay, Lord. Wouldn't it be really easy for David to not inquire a second time and just say, hey guys, we just did this. And so, well, you know, verse 10 um, God says he's going to deliver him to him, and so here it is. This is the plan of attack, so let's do the same thing again. Okay, remember when they crossed the Red Sea? Moses stood up, put their arms out, took the staff, Red Sea parts. When they got to the Jordan, they had to take the Ark of the Covenant, and the Jordan did not cross until they stuck their foot in the water. Same idea, you're crossing a body of water. God did it a completely different way the second time. This is the same battle, same army, same group, same people, same thing, right? No, verse 14. You shall not go up after them. Circle around them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear a sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. A completely different way to handle it. Now, if you're a type of person that B always follows A and C always follows B, so therefore when this event happens in your life and God did it this way once, he's not going to do it the same way every single time. And that's something that you really got to seek the Lord on and be, and be spirit-led. You know, whatever the ministry event may be, hey, we did it this way for VBS one year. It was really good. We're going to always do it that way. Well, no, maybe the Lord wants to tweak this a little bit. You know, for years, we did Wednesday night prayer requests. Everybody would just mention the prayer request. I'd write them down. We'd pray for them. The Lord said, let's tweak that. We've always done it this way. Well, you know what? Let's be spirit-led. Let's not change for the sake of change, but let's be open and willing to what the Spirit says. The Lord may tell you one thing, and then a month later tell you something completely different. Do you realize how difficult that is? It keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? 
There's a great example of that in the life of Jesus, where Jesus' brothers come to him and say, Hey, coming up to the feast with us in Jerusalem? Jesus says, No, I'm not going to go. One verse later, you know what the Bible says? Jesus took off to go to the feast of Jerusalem. What? You just said you weren't going, and now you're going. How many times in the Bible have we seen that? Dawn and I were just praying over some stuff here this morning, and there's this passage in Acts where Paul wanted to go here. God said, no. Paul wanted to go here. God said, no. And God said, no, I want you to go here. The complete opposite direction that Paul twice tried to go. And it says, like, Lord, we have to seek you every single time because what you said here may be different here. And I'm not saying God has changed, but the way he wants you to handle that may become different. And this is what you see here with David. Same army, same enemy, nearly the same battle. God says, i got a completely different way of how I want you to handle it. Verse 16, so David did as God commanded. Right there is probably the most important verse in the whole lesson tonight. David did as God commanded. He was obedient. And they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezar. Then all the fame of David went out into all the lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all nations. Okay, let's put this all together here to get ready to close. This chapter has it all. There's a season of blessing. You will be blessed in the Lord because God just loves you. There's moments of flesh, I hate to say it, but where your flesh will get the best of you. Aren't we thankful for a loving Savior that forgives? There's a season of battles for your fighting. Okay, now, how do we handle the battles? Let's do the same five things that David did. First one, let's ask for wisdom on what he wants us to do. Lean not on your own understanding. I cannot stress that to you enough. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you think. It's about what God's perfect plan is for your life. Number two, burn anything that's going to be a problem in the battle. Get rid of it. Toast it. Be done with it. Be it animate or inanimate objects. Lord, I do not want this in my life. This is pulling me away from you. Number three, be prepared because the enemy is going to attack again. He's going to keep hitting you again and again. Number four, when he hits again... Ask again, Lord, what do you want me to do? It doesn't matter if it's the same enemy, the same problem, same whatever. Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond to this? And then number five, be willing to do something different. Be willing to do something different. God said, David, I want you to do it this way this time. David said, okay, I'm willing to do something different. Be spirit-led, allow the Lord to lead, and then see what God has in store. So it's just a quick little chapter, but it's a chapter that has it all. And it's a great slice of a walk with Christ to say, this is how we're supposed to live our lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it. Next week, we're going to do chapters uh, 15 and 16, where David brings the ark back. And he does it the right way this time. And you really see then how it opens up the door to God wanting to really use David and David's lineage for the Messiah. And it's a wonderful study, and I hope you're blessed by that. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything here before we close up? Uh, just a day in the life of David, if you will, the ups, the downs, the battles of it. All righty. Let's pray and we'll let you go then. Lord, help us to live it. Not just to preach it, not just to mark it, not just to underline it, but help us to live it. Help us to see the seriousness of what we are doing, impacting eternity and all we say and do. But Lord, also help us to see the blessing and the joy of just walking in you. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. And I just want to pray for everybody here tonight that is in the midst of a battle. I pray they're seeking you in wisdom. I pray they're, they're prepared to be attacked again and to get rid of anything that's bringing them down. 
I pray that they're seeking you and willing to do what you've called them to do. And Lord, help us to not walk in the flesh. It's never worth it. Never worth it. But Lord, help us to walk in your blessings. In your name we pray. Amen. Real quick, I, just, I forgot to mention this and I wanted to share this with you. About how the enemy attacks in the flesh. If you remember correctly, make sure I got the right one. I've shared this with you before. We get these uh, junk faxes out here all the time at church. And we always get them from the yellow pages. But it's not the yellow pages that you get that's free. It is the yellow-pages-USA. Okay, Yellow pages is free. So they send this to you, and it's just real quick. Confirm your address, confirm your phone number, confirm everything, sign it here, and you're in the yellow pages. Well, the fine print, if you remember correctly, the fine print was it's going to cost us as a church $1,188 a year to do this. That's the fine print. So we got another one. This was for the fall edition. Now we got one for the spring edition. It's got the little fingers walking. It says yellow pages. And the only thing I need to do is just check our name, address, everything, and everything's fine and dandy. But it's not going to cost us $1,188 a year now. So you got to go to the fine print. This one, they, they offered something different. This one's only going to be $99 a month. Isn't that funny how the enemy does the same thing, just does it in a different way? And I just see this, and there's probably somebody going, well, it's yellow pages. We should probably just go ahead and just check this off. Everything's fine and dandy. Well, it's not going to cost me $1,188. It's only going to cost me $99 a month. That's a much better deal. But that's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy does. And I just want you to tell you that in a loving way. Be aware of that. He is a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. Remember what Paul wrote to us. He says, do not be ignorant of his devices. He's going to keep hitting you left and right. But thank the Lord through the armor of God, through the spirit of God, we can stand strong and we can fight. So, well, hey, I need to let you guys go. Be safe out there. Let's pray real quick. Lord, safety for everybody as they travel home. And just for anybody on the road, getting ready to go to work tonight, what have you, just safety out there, Lord, in your name. Amen. Good evening. God bless. If you've got anything you want to pray about, I'll stick around up here for a little bit and we can pray. And I hope you guys have a good evening.